And we're in this sermon series called Forward in Hope. And um, as I studied, I, I basically in the last couple of weeks, I've read virtually every verse in the Bible on hope. And uh, that's kind of one of the ways when I'm starting in a series and all, I just want to read everything there is on that topic. And I was drawn to a passage that gives us the way to move forward in hope. So I'm preaching a, a message today entitled, How to Move Forward in Hope. Now, the, the hope I'm talking about today is not just hope for stuff, hope for things, hope for something good to happen in your life. I mean, though, that's hope and that, that's fine. But I'm talking about something way bigger and way deeper than that today. I'm talking about having an eternal hope, a hope for your, your eternity, a hope for heaven, and a hope for in this life that you would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that you would see the hand of God move in your life, that you would see the glory of God on you and your family. And so that, that's the hope that we're going to be talking about today. And it's based on Romans 5, 1 through 5. Uh, Romans is one of the deepest books in the Bible, and I've really been praying for a long time about a time to preach through this book. So be praying with that for me, because I, I, I want to do that sometime, and I'm just feeling that. But, but for today, we're going to look at Romans 5, 1 through 5 as our text, and we're going to kind of preach and teach through. This may be a little more teachy than preachy, but we're going to go through these verses. It says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, and that's what the previous chapters have been talking about in Romans, about how we are righteous by faith, not by works. Not by anything we do. It's by faith in the finished work of Jesus cross, Christ on the cross. Because we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This passage shows us the way forward in hope. The way, the beginning point and the end point, how to start and how to end up having the hope of God in your life. And remember, I'm talking about a deep abiding hope in God for your future here on earth and in heaven and eternity. And we see in this passage that the first step towards hope is faith. And, and by the way, I, I want to remind you from last week, uh, hope, hope basically is faith for the future. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just I hope something happens. It is, it is hope is a, a certainty. It's a certainty a, a, about the future because you know that your future is in the hands of God. Amen? Amen. Don't y'all get quiet on me today. Now here's what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first step to hope is faith. And this verse says we are declared righteous by faith. Now, I just want to touch something here for a moment. Uh, which comes first, righteousness or faith? Faith. Now, now, let me tell you, there are some people who believe that, that you must first be saved before you can have faith. It's called Reformed theology or Calvinist theology, and they believe that, they tend to believe that faith is a work that people do, and so you cannot do any works to be saved, and so you've got to be saved before you can have faith. But the Bible clearly differentiates between faith and works. 
fact, it says in Ephesians, Paul said, you're saved by grace uh, through faith, through faith, not of works. The Bible differentiates uh, faith is not considered a, a, a work. Uh, but so the Bible clearly teaches that faith comes first. In fact, uh, some verses would not make sense unless you believe that. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches us faith comes first. John 3.15, I'll just give you a few examples. Everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. It doesn't say everyone who has eternal life then will believe in Jesus. It says everyone who believes in Jesus will have, will have eternal life. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't save. If you're saved, then you'll be able to confess Jesus as Lord and then you'll be able to believe in your heart. No, the confession and the faith comes first, then the salvation. John 1, 2, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He didn't say to those who become children of God, then he gives a right to believe. I want you to get this. I could go on and on and on with many verses in the Bible like this, but the Bible is clear. Faith comes first. Faith comes before salvation. Actually, faith comes before anything with God. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what he goes on to say. James says if you're, if you're in doubt and you don't have faith, if you're double-minded, he says don't, don't think that you're going to receive anything from God. You read it. It's in James 1. Without faith, he said you're not going to receive it. Faith is the starting point of receiving anything from God, including hope. And when you do have faith in Jesus Christ, that results in the second step towards hope, that results in being born again. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are born again, and then you are declared righteous by God. That means you are forgiven. That means you are justified. Righteous, righteous means to be made right, to be right with God. Listen to me. You listening? You can do nothing to make yourself right with God. You can do nothing but good every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every month, of every year of your life, and none of that will make you right with God. Jesus, see, your righteousness, Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, an amazing man who I don't think any of us would say, well, hey, I'm more righteous than that guy. He says, I don't want to stand before God someday having a righteousness that is my own. You think you can, a lot of people, people in the world say, oh, I'm good with God. I'm all right. I'm a good guy. I can kill nobody. I didn't murder. Oh, thank a lot for not killing nobody. I mean, that ought to get you into heaven. So many people are counting on their good works. Well, how, how good is good enough? Well, the Bible gives us a standard. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the outshining of the glory of God on this planet. He's the one where we've seen the glory of God. He's the standard. I don't think anybody's going to stand up and say, well, I'm as good as him. Well, the Bible says that your righteousness has to be as good as his. You can never attain that on your own. You only get that through faith and believing that he who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And you'll never have any hope until you understand that, until you're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember Ephesians 2.12, we talked about it last week. You lived previously in this world without God and without hope. People who are without God are without hope. 
But as we saw last week, when you're born again, Peter said you are, you are born into a living hope. That's because Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the third thing I, I want you to see. When you're right with God, you have peace. Amen. When you have faith, you're made righteous with God. When you're righteous with God, then you have peace with God. Listen, this doesn't mean you make peace with God. I don't know how many times I've heard movies and heard people say, well, somebody was dying and they died. And they said, well, I hope they made peace with God. You don't make peace with God. You receive the peace of God through faith in the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hope is totally dependent upon faith. Hope is totally dependent upon faith in Christ making you righteous. And the peace that results from being made righteous with God. As a consequence of being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And this peace with God is not just an inner calm and tranquility. Listen, it's not just calm and tranquility. It's ceasing of hostilities. Pastor Joe, what do you mean by that? Well, Romans 8, 6 through 8 says, The mind of sinful man is death, and the mind controlled by the Spirit is life, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Listen, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's our condition before we're born again, hostile to God. Most people wouldn't think they're hostile to God. They think they're okay with God. But they're going their own way rather than God's way. They're doing their own thing rather than God's thing. They're doing their will rather than God's will. They're not submitting to, to God. They're, they're actually in rebellion in God, going their own way, but they think they're okay with God. But, but thank God Colossians 1, and 23 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body to, through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Is anybody glad about that? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope, not move from that hope held out in the gospel, not move from hope, Not move from it, but moving forward. That's what we're talking about, how to move forward in hope. And notice that before we're saved, we're enemies in our own minds because of our sinful behavior. We once lived with this sense of guilt and this terror of hell. Some of you remember those days when when, when you heard about hell and it just just terrified you. And as a result, you had no peace. Isaiah 48, 22 says, "There there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were at war with God, under condemnation, without peace and without hope. But now, because of faith, because we're justified by faith, because, uh, because of that, now our sins are forgiven. We're, we're made right with God. And now we can have peace with God because all of our guilt is taken away. And peace is usually the first result of salvation. You, you remember that, that when you got saved, I mean, all of a sudden peace flooded you where you had all this anxiety and fear and all these other things 
things weighing on you and pressing on you. Now all of a sudden you had the you had peace with God. Why? Because now you were submitted to God rather than fighting against God. Now you gave in. Now you you bowed your knee to Him as Lord and quit being Lord of your own life. And when that happens, then the fear suddenly subsides and your heart becomes calm, like like the waves of the ocean after a storm. And where you once were filled with all this agitation and anxiety and alarm, now you're at peace with him. It's a glorious thing, having peace with God. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. A lot of us let our hearts be troubled. Every little thing comes along, troubles us. But Jesus is saying, you know what, you can, you can get to a place where you don't let that happen. The first step towards moving towards hope, moving forward in hope, is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Then to be born again because of that and, and then receive his peace, peace that the world didn't give you and the world can't take away. Uh, because of the cross of Christ, now you have peace with God and you stand in the presence of God, guiltless, uncondemned, without accusation, without condemnation. You stand before him righteous. This is a reason for hope. This is a reason to move forward to hope. And until you can stand in righteousness, you'll never have hope and you won't have peace because you're always trying to be working for it. I'm trying to help somebody out today who is in this rat race of trying to work, 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 work to get that peace. Peace comes from faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you've got to learn to stand in faith. And not only that, you've got to learn to stand in grace. In fact, that's the fourth thing here. Standing in grace results in hope. Romans 5, 2 says, And through him, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When we're born, born again, we are righteous with God. We now have peace with God, and that gives us access into grace in which we stand. It's kind of interesting. We're saved by grace. Unto grace. It's from grace to grace. We are saved by grace, but that gives us access into this grace by which we stand. Grace enables us to stand. And the word access here means entrance to a, a king through the favor of another. It's like, it's like if there's a, a child of a king, he, they can have access to the, 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 the father's presence no matter what. It, I, I heard a story about back when Abraham Lincoln was in the White House, but you, you know, people could go to the White House in those days, and you could sit around and wait uh, until the president has some time and talk to him. They had, they had a waiting room, you waiting here to see Mr. Lincoln today, and uh, okay, you know, get in line. Take a number. And there was a guy out in the front lawn, uh, just very, very um, somber and very sad and very upset, and, and this little kid came up to him and says, what's the matter? And he said, well, I've been trying to get in to see the president, and those soldiers won't let me in the door, and I've had this property, and during the war, somehow my, my family's property got taken from me, and, I, and, and nobody listened to me on getting it back, and, and I want to appeal to the president. And this little kid says, okay, follow me. And this little kid goes up to that door where the soldiers are standing there, and all of a sudden the soldiers at her attention they hold the door open, and the kid walks in, and that guy walks in, and he said, and the kid says, let this man through. That's her. Man goes through, left to Abraham's office, goes right in, says, Daddy, this man needs to talk to you. 
Now, you can stand on the outside crying. Come on, I'm talking about approaching God now. You can stand it on the outside sad. You can stand on the outside not ever approaching. But the Bible says you have access. You, have, you can enter into the very throne room of the king. Hebrews says it's a new and it's a living way. It's by the blood of Jesus. Before we could not approach God for any, for any reason. I mean, think about it. In, in the old covenant, the Jewish people were kept from God's presence by the veil. Only the high priest could go into that presence one the, once a year. And the Gentiles were kept out by a wall in the temple. But when Jesus died, he tore the veil and he broke down the wall. And so in Christ, every single believer, including you, has access to God, and you can draw on the riches of his grace, and you can stand in that grace. Through faith in Christ, we can stand in that grace, and we can enjoy all the privilege of of, of grace. We can approach our Lord whenever we want to by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of God. That's what God gives us when we repent of our sin. He clothes us with righteousness. He cleanses us with his blood, and he brings us into his full favor, his full grace, and brings us, gives us access and to his presence. And because of that, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. That's the next step. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in the hope of God's glory. Verse 2 says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Some of y'all need a revelation of that access. I'm going to, I remember when I was in the music business, worked for a record company, when I go to concerts, they give me an all-access pass. I could go backstage, I could go to the dressing room, I could go wherever I wanted to go. I had an all-access pass. Listen, you have an all-access pass into the presence of God. And somebody needs to hear this today. Stop holding back. Stop waiting to clean yourself up. Go to God and he cleans you up. You can't clean yourself up enough to get into the presence of God. It's the blood of Jesus that gives you that access. And because of that grace, you can rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's a couple meanings to this. One is this hope is participating in the glory of heaven. We read that earlier in the service out of Revelation where we're there. We're, we're participating in the glory of heaven. We're participating in the worship. We're, we're in the presence of God. But there is also a sharing of the glory of God now. You've you got to get this. We rejoice because we have the hope of heaven for eternity. For the believer, heaven is not something that just might happen. Heaven is not something we hope is there. We are, we are certain of it. And so even when we have pain here on earth, we know we will have none in heaven. We know there's tears on earth, but there's none in heaven. That gives us hope for the future, and it gives us hope now. But the word glory is not just speaking of heaven. The Greek word translated glory here is doxa. It's from where we get the word doxology. It means splendor, brightness, magnificence, preeminence, majesty. It's all the kingly attributes of God in all his perfection. Glory is the outshining of the holy character of God. It's the outshining and shining forth of who he is. Jesus prayed to the Father for this glory in John 17, 4 through 5. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You want to know how to bring glory to God on earth? Do the work he called you to do. Not somebody else's work, the work he called you to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
And this same glory that he experienced in heaven will be given to us in heaven. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But this glory is not just speaking of the glory of heaven. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, heaven will be filled with the glory of God. Heaven will be filled with the presence of glory of God. But we can enter into a measure of the glory of God here on earth. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Entering the kingdom of God doesn't happen when you go to heaven. That's the king of heaven. You're in the kingdom of God now when you change kingdom, translate kingdom out of darkness and light into the kingdom of his dear son. You are now participants in the kingdom. You are ambassadors of the kingdom and you get to experience the glory of the kingdom. And so when Paul speaks of sharing God's glory, it's not just of heaven. He's saying that the believer will share in the likeness of God. Now listen, you never will be God. There is a God and you're not him. But we should be coming more and more like God. That's our eternal destiny. Romans talks about that in in Romans 8, that we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's our destiny. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You've got to get this down. This is about glory. The Amplified Version of 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, All of us, can you say all? all? All of us, this is including you, with unveiled face, not hiding anything, beholding a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transformed, constantly, into his own image, his very image, from glory to glory, from doxa to doxa, to an ever-increasing splendor, and from one degree of glory to another, by the Spirit of the Lord. That hope of glory we rejoice in is in heaven, but not just heaven. We are rejoicing in the fact that God is making us more like Him every single day from glory to glory. Can you rejoice in the glory of the, the hope of the glory of heaven? And can you rejoice in the hope of being changed by His glory in the here and now? Can you rejoice in both of those things? It's here and not yet. It's both. You've got to hold those in tension. In tension. Now, the next step to hope is a really, really, really big one. Well, they're all big. But Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, you getting this? Is this all right? You getting this? Okay. Not only that. Okay, he said we rejoice in the hope of heaven, right? Isn't that what we just said? Not only that, you mean there's more? Yeah, there's more. Woo, this is going to be really good. But wait, there's more. I preached a sermon on that one time. Not only that, not only do we rejoice in the the glory of God, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. We're talking about how to move forward in hope. I'm trying to help you today. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of glory, but number six, to have hope, you must rejoice in afflictions. Now, wait a minute. This kind of seems like bait and switch to me. You give you all excited about the glory of heaven and the glory of God and the glory of becoming like Christ. And now you're talking about rejoicing in afflictions, glorying in troubles. I mean, the Bible does tell us to rejoice in times of prosperity and health. 
But Paul is telling us to rejoice in afflictions. What, what are afflictions? Well, the Greek word literally means pressure. And different Bible translations, translations translate the word as suffering, tribulation, problems, and trials. But specifically, you've you got to get this, specifically it's referring to trials and persecutions we endure as Christians. He's not talking about getting sick or any of that. I mean, he's talking about the trials and persecutions you go in through to your faith. Now, we haven't experienced a lot of that in this nation, but let me tell you, it's coming. Get ready. One of the things I've got to do as your pastor is to prepare you. We are living in the end times. Read about the signs of the times. And, and there is persecution. It's happening all around the world right now. Christians are getting killed all over this planet. We have been saved from that in this nation, and I pray we continue to be so, and I pray that God would move in our nation. I pray that we would have godly sorrow for our sin. I pray for revival in the United States of America. But we've got to be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, because great is your reward in heaven. The Bible teaches that trouble will come in a Christian's life. Being saved does not exempt you from problems. In fact, listen, it causes you some problems and some pressures. And it's going to be more so in the future. Naming the name of Christ, saying I'm a Christian. There's been no cause for that in this nation, but there's coming a time when, when it will be. Jesus said in John 16, In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That's what Jesus has done for us. And it's his power that enables us to rejoice in times of trouble. And here's another thing that helps, knowing the purpose of the trouble. The Bible is not teaching us here to rejoice because of trouble. It teaches us to rejoice because of the beneficial effect it would have on our lives. These things are working in us an eternal weight of glory. They are helping conform us to Jesus Christ. And only when we understand that can we rejoice in what we're going through. To rejoice in these tribulations does not merely mean to rejoice. Rejoice when they happen, but rejoice because of what they result in our life. What they result in in our life. Listen, this ability to rejoice in times of persecution and, and afflictions, it, it doesn't come naturally. It requires a supernatural grace of God supplied by the Holy Spirit. May God give us eyes open to the fact that the pressures of life are meant to work for us, not against us. How do they do that? Paul goes on to tell us in Romans 5, 3 through 4. Not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions. How do we do that? Why? Because. You got to get the because. You got to understand the why. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This passage shows us the further and final progression towards hope. It's one thing to endure tribulation without complaint. It's another to rejoice in it. We can only rejoice in tribulation and persecution when we have a reason to. And Paul gives us a reason here. Because of the end result, resulting in, rejoicing in affliction produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Amen. Let's look at those real quick. Affliction produces endurance. The Greek word here for endurance is hupomone. And it literally means to remain under. To remain under. To remain under the pressure. To be patient. 
to endure without giving up or without giving in. God intends for pressure to make us patient. Man, if there's any time in life that we need patience, it is now. You better get you some patience. You know what happens when you pray for patience, don't you? You end up in line at the DMV. You end up in line waiting for your driver's license. You end up in line making a grocery store. I don't know how you are, but I always make poor line choices. <laughs> this line looks shorter. 15 minutes, I'm like, 17 people went through this other line. And I picked one of these guys going through 15 million coupons here in front of me. Patience, I shouldn't have prayed for that patience. You're going to have to wait. I mean, you've seen all these ships stacked up in, in, in L.A. Harbor and New York Harbor, all them products you've been ordering off of Amazon are stuck out on a boat somewhere. You better get you some patience. We need patience. And God uses pressures and, and waiting to make us patience. And, and again, it's not natural. For, for unbelievers, problems result in the opposite effect. Unbelievers are irritated by problems. They complain about them. They get angry because of them. None of us do that, but, but unbelievers do that. And for them, any kind of pressure results in impatience and hopelessness. But when your heart is renewed by the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and not until then, tribulation produces patience. By the way, only those who face problems can develop patience. If you never have to wait on anything, if you never have to go through anything, you don't have no need for patience. But believers who remain under trials in a God-honoring way, believers who have confidence in the wisdom and goodness of God, believers who remain under the pressure of, of tribulation rather than attempting to just be relieved of it, believers who learn the lessons that, that problems are sent to teach, these believers can take the next step in growing towards hope. Affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character. Proven character means it is character that has passed the test. Character that has proved itself under trial. Character that has proved itself under temptation. And that approved character produces and increases hope. Jesus, James talked about this in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know, you got to know this, or you can't consider it joy. Know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. It takes perseverance and endurance to mature. It doesn't happen. There is no instant growth. There is no instant maturity. It's day by day, glory to glory. It's a faith to faith. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incremental thing. And James tells us to rejo rejoice in trials because of the results of tested faith. It produces maturity in us. That's another way of saying proven character. And you might think, think you have good character, but can you prove it? How do you respond to prolonged problems and pressure? Do you rejoice in times of trouble? Do you, do you remain under pressure without blowing up or caving in? Do you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in your daily life? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, all those things. Are they in your daily life? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? That's what proven character looks like. And the Bible says, lastly, in this passage, that proven character produces hope. That's an amazing thing. Romans 5.5 5 says this about that hope. This hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint because we know that God loves us no matter what. 
Because we stand in His grace, we were made right, righteous by His grace. It's all because of the love of God and the grace of God and because of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives. Love and the Spirit always go together because it's the Holy Spirit who floods the heart with God's love and with the assurance of God's love. If you don't have the assurance of God's love, you'll never have hope. If you're always wondering every day, does God love me today? I don't think God loves me today. I've been a bad boy today. God doesn't love me today. God's love for you never changes. You've got to get to the point where you can stand in faith and stand in grace and stand in assurance of the love of God. All our hope rests on that assurance of God's love. That hope will never disappoint. When we hope for something and we don't obtain it, we're conscious of disappointment. But Christian hope, the Bible says, is certain. It will not disappoint because what we hope for, we will obtain. How do we know that? Because the reality of God's love for us. We have that love in our heart. We have that love in our life. We have our faith in the love of God and that gives us the assurance and the guarantee that our hope in God and our promise of God is our hope is not misplaced and it will not fail. And so I want to encourage you today as I close, wherever you are in this process of moving forward in hope, I want to encourage you, first of all, this is a process, not an event. It's not just like you're going to step into it all at once. You saw these nine things that Romans here mentioned. Hope begins with faith. And when we exercise faith in Jesus, we are saved. We are justified. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Never you've been, maybe you've never been born again. Today is a day of salvation. That is a starting point of hope. Without that, you have no hope. But that hope then grows uh, by when you grow in the grace of God and, and you experience the peace of God, when you begin to rejoice in the glory of God and rejoice even in afflictions and persecution, that, that, that persecution produces endurance. That endurance produces proven character and that results in hope. And that, does, that hope will never disappoint you because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working together to move you forward in hope. Isn't that good? Romans 15, 13. Listen to this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. There's faith and hope together so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the God of hope. The Holy Spirit overflows us with hope. And Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. God is the God of hope. The Holy Spirit overflows you with hope. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. Because of Christ, you have the hope of heaven where there'll be no pain and no tears, no sin, no injustice, no Satan, no problems, no waiting, no lines, no COVID, none of that, no sickness, no grief, no death, no disability. No, no deafness, no blindness, no diabetes, no cancer, no heart attack, no toothaches, no joint pain, no pain at all. No hair dye, no hair extensions. Don't need none of that stuff. We're all going to be perfect. And not only do we have hope for heaven, but it, because of Christ, we have the hope of today being changed into his image day by day from glory to glory. I, I, I wonder, can you rejoice today? Can you rejoice in the hope of heaven? Can you rejoice in the hope of glory? It will never disappoint you. And can you rejoice in your troubles and your afflictions and your persecutions and your pressure? Uh, the, that, that's how you move forward in hope. In fact, I want you to take a step in moving forward in hope. Right now, let's all stand together. We're closing the service. I want you to stand and for just a minute here, we're going to rejoice. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, you may be in an awesome time. Hey, rejoice in the glory.
Isn't that good? Rejoice in that glory. You might be in a tough time. You might be in a time of affliction or persecution or pressure. Hey, rejoice in that because this is the way to move forward in hope. So I want you to just take a minute. I want you to clap your hands. I want you to thank God. I want you to bless God. I want you to rejoice in God. I want you to say, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I give you glory. I give you honor. I worship you. I rejoice in you. Even what I'm going through, I rejoice in you because you are good. You are good all the time. God, you are good yesterday, today, and forever. And you are working all things out for my good. I hope in you. My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Move us forward in hope, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Woo! Hallelujah! I love the Word of God. I love you, and I love preaching the Word of God to you, and I pray you receive from the Lord today. If you're watching online and, and, and you gave your heart to Jesus today, you can just put a comment there on the, in the comments, a hashtag my decision. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, we'd love to pray with you for you to uh, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you need healing, if you need patience, if you're going through a tough time and you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, if you need to pray for somebody else, whatever the need is, we want to pray with you and see the hand of God move in your life. I love you so much. So glad you're here. We'll